reading will be from 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. 1 Peter 3, 8. To sum up, let all be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For let him who means to love life and see good days refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and the ear, his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which they, you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for, what is, for doing what is right, rather than for doing what is wrong. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient when the patience of, Noah, of, patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the waters. And corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. We'll pray. God, we are again just um, humbled and grateful for all that you are to us. You are life itself, you've given us your Son that in him we might have abundant life. Lord, our, we know that we're all too susceptible to letting our circumstances define what life is rather than to, to know Jesus, who is himself life, and to allow him to be the one that defines us and characterizes us. We pray as we just look at your word again, God, that we would be encouraged to come to Jesus that he might be in us all that he is. In Christ's name, amen. You be seated. Well, this passage here, beginning in verse 8, starts with, to sum up. Uh, and it's um, just that. It's a summary of everything that he said before. And I don't know about you, but, but I'm becoming um, increasingly forgetful. I'm not proud of that. Um, when I was young, I didn't, you know, I didn't think I forgot much of anything. Never misplaced anything. Um, pretty good memory. And today, I just can't even hardly remember my own name, uh, much less anyone else's. Um, I had my, got a sports coat out this morning, and I have no idea where it is. Um, maybe on the highway between here and Comfort, I don't know. Um, but anyway, I'm forgetting a lot of things. So if you're like me, 
by the time you get to the second half of the third chapter, and we've spent at least seven or eight weeks now looking at 1 Peter, um, it's time for a reminder. It's time to have things summed up and be kind of just told what we've already been looking at. So I want to just spend a couple minutes here at the outset just um, reviewing, because that's what Peter says now, to sum up or in review, in conclusion to what he's been saying. So we need to look at what he's been saying. So you recall, first of all, just the context here. Peter is writing specifically to Jewish Christians who have been scattered across Asia Minor because of the persecution that's going on. And so he writes to them to encourage them. And he says two things at the outset that really control this whole letter. The first is in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. You who are chosen... And then the object of the verb, chosen, is in verse 2. Chosen that you might obey Jesus Christ. So this is not a statement about being elected unto salvation. That, Peter doesn't even go there. This is about you're saved. And having been saved, God's will for you, God's choice for you, is that you obey Jesus Christ. A persecuted people need to know that. Because it's very easy when, when life is impossible and there are enemies on every side to make life about survival. Whatever it takes, I will survive. And we all know people who boast in being a survivor. I'm a survivor. I tell you, I want to get away from them when I hear that because I'm thinking lightning is going to strike. It is such an arrogant statement to say. God has not saved us so that we could boast in our survival skills. We cannot save ourselves, and we certainly can't keep ourselves. And when life is hard and there are enemies everywhere, the objective is not to somehow make it through. The objective is no different than when life is good, and that is to obey Jesus Christ. This is what we've been chosen for. And then the second thing, he says, you have been, in verse 3, born again to a living hope. What is the purpose of that new birth? He says in verse 4, to obtain an inheritance. It is not a given, apparently, that saved people are going to obey Jesus Christ. And that saved people are going to obtain the inheritance that God has for them. It isn't a given. Peter is writing to these dear brothers and sisters in Christ who, because of persecution, are sorely tempted not to obey Jesus. And in doing so, may, in fact, forfeit the inheritance that God has for them. We can lose the reward that God wants us to have. Can't lose your eternal life, but you can lose the reward that God would have us to have. Seems to be that's maybe what Peter is talking about. So with those two things in mind, you've been chosen to obey, and you've been born again to receive an inheritance. He gets very down-to-earth and practical with them. So in verse 13, he says, Therefore, those things being true, gird your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's a hard thing, isn't it? 
Again, when life is hard, it's very easy for our hope to be on circumstances changing. We have a crummy president. Oh, but there'll be another election coming. And our hope is in the next election. Our hope is to be completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then, as obedient children, to not be conformed to our former lust. But we are to be holy ourselves as God himself is holy. And then at the end of chapter 1, verse 22, since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Chapter 2, verse 1, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and slander like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word. In verse 11, behold, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. And then he moved in his, into his submission section. Verse 13, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Verse 17, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Verse 18, servants be submissive to your masters with all respect. Chapter 3, verse 1, in the same way, wives, be submissive to your own husbands. And then in verse 7, and you husbands likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way. Those are the core things that Peter is teaching a persecuted people. A persecuted people need to know. Husbands, treat your wives with honor. Wives, submit to your husbands. Slaves, submit to your masters. All of us need to be submissive to our governing authorities. We need to be, be told to keep our behavior excellent among the Gentiles, to abstain from fleshly lust, to desire the pure milk of God's word, to fervently love one another from the heart, and to gird our minds for action. This is what it means to be chosen of God, that we might obey Jesus Christ, born again, that we might receive an inheritance. There will be no excuses when we stand before God and say, God, life was really hard. And that's why I was such a crummy Christian. <laughs> and God's going to go, what? Is my son not adequate for the life that you lived? What about his life? Did you fail to see me in him when he took the sins of the world upon himself? And yet the world fails to see Jesus in you. There's no excuse. And so now in verse 8 of chapter 3, to sum up, let all be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. You know, it's amazing to me, one of the most amazing things in life for me has been to watch people go through times of great pain and yet not be mean-spirited to be gentle in spirit. And I recognize that, that the, the hard things of life, they can either be 
used by God to soften our hearts, or if we don't allow God to do that, our hearts will just get harder. And sometimes the, the meanest, most difficult people we have met that we know are people who have been through very, very difficult circumstances. By the same token, some of the kindest people you will ever meet are people who have been through very difficult circumstances. It's how we respond. And do we come to the Lord Jesus? I had a dear friend. Um, I used to meet with him once a month, um, have lunch with him, and he was kind of a, a spiritual mentor to me. And toward the last part of it, really most of his life, but especially toward the end, he was in great physical pain. And we would sit down for lunch, and it had been a month since I had you know, last seen him. And he would ask me about Patsy, who, by the way, is here. You remember she wasn't here last week. And, um, and he would ask me about Patsy, about the kids. He would ask about his hill, about Bernie Bible Church. And he was just totally engaged with me, concerned about me, um, involved, just, just loving on me. And I would just eat it up. Man, what a privilege that this godly man is so concerned about me. And all I can do is just answer his questions. And after an hour lunch, happened twice. He looks at me and says, Charlie, could you help me get to my feet? I'm in such pain I can't even stand up without assistance. And I'm going, I am such an idiot. Spent the whole lunch just thinking about myself. And he's spending the whole lunch thinking about me. And the guy is in so much pain, he can hardly even sit there. Amazing. There is no way that can happen apart from the grace of Jesus Christ. You don't have to become mean people because we live in a mean world. That's what Peter's saying here. He goes, you don't have to tell me about how bad your husband is. You don't have to tell me about how bad your master is or about how bad the government is. But that is no excuse for you being a miserable Christian. No excuse to not love as Christ loves. Let all, not some of us, not just those who are having a good day, <laughs> right? No matter how your day's been, you can come home. If you've been treated like garbage, you can come home and be harmonious and sympathetic and brotherly and kind-hearted and humble in spirit. Of those five words, only one of them is used anywhere else in the New Testament. And so it's like Peter just sat down and said, let me find the most unusual uncharacteristic words I can find of human behavior and say, that's what you should be like. Exceptional, in other words. Four of these five words are not found anywhere else in the Bible. So clearly, he's calling us to a, an exceptional life. A supernatural life. The life of Christ. So you think, Harmonious, I'm not a musician. Anybody that knows me knows that. I can't even sing and clap my hands. Um, not going to happen. 
It means to be cooperative. It means not to be easily divisive. It means not to be contentious, um, contrarian, to be dissonant with everybody else. But you want to get along. It's not that you, that you agree, because that's the whole thing about harmony, is that different instruments are producing different sounds, but they complement each other. They synthesize. And we don't all have to agree, but we don't have to be difficult. Sympathetic means to be aware of other people and their needs and to be willing to bear their burdens and to enter into their suffering, their problems care about what they're going through, not just thinking about ourselves. It's a miracle in itself, isn't it? You find yourself thinking about other people, because most of us don't. That's why I like telling young people, especially teenagers, you know, that are so, so always worried about what other people think, and I, and I tell them, got news for you, they don't. <laughs> they're not thinking. And if they are thinking, they're only thinking about themselves. But again, it's the miracle of God's redemptive work in our life to truly be concerned about other people and to put their needs ahead of our own. To be brotherly. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not enemies. And this is deeper than just being friends. Brotherly speaks of a lifelong relationship kind-hearted. That's the only one of these words that's mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament. And a total of only four times. Kind-hearted. Not mean-spirited. Not indifferent. Humble in spirit. Putting others ahead of self. Regarding others more highly than ourselves. Humble in spirit. As I thought and reflected on that, how do I see humility of spirit in someone. They're going to be teachable. They're going to be thankful. They're going to be respectful. They're going to be selfless. They'll be forgiving. There'll be a sincerity that's there. Humble in spirit. I have to brag a little bit on the students at his hill this week they were a little troubled by some of the things that the guest speaker was saying. And by their admission, one evening, the class became difficult. And there was a lot of reaction in the class. I wasn't there, but I was told about it. And the next morning when I was talking to the students, um, I, would, I think it's fair to say that as a whole class, they were... Um, grieved over how they had acted. And I saw humility of spirit. And they're going, we were disrespectful to that man. And a couple of them were in tears talking about it. And my heart was encouraged that they recognized that what happened wasn't handled well. And that regardless of whether they agreed with the speaker or not, he's a brother. And he didn't deserve to be treated that way, and that there was, there was a humility in recognizing that, and I deeply appreciate it. It's a work of the Lord. It's not something we can just produce and contrive on our own. 
Opposite of being humble, obviously, is being proud. A proud person is angry and unforgiving and self-centered and uncaring and unappreciative, vindictive, harsh, unreasonable. None of those things should characterize us. And again, there's no excuse because life is hard. No excuse to be less than Christ-like. Verse 9, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. One of the commentaries, I think it was Warren Wiersbe, said, great observation. He said, returning good for evil, returning evil for good. Somebody does you good and you do evil. He says, that's satanic. Returning good for good and evil for evil, that's human. I always thought that's what it meant when my mother said, don't do to others what they don't want you to do to you. But what the scripture says is, do to others what you would have them do to you. It's not do to others as they've done to you, but do to others as you would have them do to you. So what is divine, godly, is returning evil with good. No matter what somebody does, they curse you, they revile you, they slander you, you give a blessing. That's not natural. It's supernatural. Have anybody like that in your life? <laughs> Man, you should read my text sometime. <laughs> I'm just going, wow. I mean, some of the texts that I've gotten from people, and I'm just going, I'm, at least it wasn't FaceTime. <laughs> Um, you know, at least with a text, you've got some time to take it to the Lord and think and pray about how to respond. But really, the, the, the only question is, how do you give a blessing? What does that look like? Because we know that the Lord would have us not to respond as we think the person deserves. It's not insult for insult, evil for evil, but to give a blessing to everyone who mistreats us, says unkind, hurtful things to us. Verse 10, let him who means to love life and see good days get a new government. Get rid of your master. Get rid of your husband. Right? No. Because he said, Submit to that government. Submit to that master. Submit to that husband. Well, how can I have a good life then, God? Come on. Let him who means to love life and see good days change his circumstances. No. Refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile. And let him turn away from evil and do Good. It's not enough to turn away from evil and do good. It's like those soldiers that told the boy that had been waiting on them in another country, you know, we really feel bad that we've been treating you so badly and we've decided we're not going to do that anymore. And the boy said, great, and I will no longer spit in your soup. <laughs> He'd been returning evil for evil. And it's not enough to stop doing that 
but to do good instead. Got a lousy waiter at a restaurant. It's not enough just not to complain, but to bless them. Maybe give that person who knows they did a miserable job a bigger tip than you normally would. It's grace. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now all this is a direct quote from Psalm 34. And you read it in its whole context, the whole psalm. And I think it's pretty clear when he's saying the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, he's talking about people who have placed their faith in the Lord. But his face of the Lord is against those who do evil. He's not talking about righteous people who do evil, though righteous people do evil. But he's saying the righteous don't need to worry about evil people because God knows all about them, and he's going to take care of them. You don't need to retaliate. You don't need to seek revenge. You don't need to pray that their life would come to an end or anything else. God is going to take care of them. Your business is the Lord. God will take care of the evildoer. Who is there to harm you when you prove zealous for what is good? Well, we still get harmed. Typically, we won't. And that's true. Most of the time, when you live the life that Christ has intended for you, you're not going to suffer. But there will be times when we do. And if we should suffer, verse 14, for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. Do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. In the next statement, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. And I've, I think that that one statement really is the explanation for how this supernatural living takes place. Sanctify Christ as Lord. Now, for Christ to be Lord, we all know, we, 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 we've seen the sermons, we've seen the scripture that speaks of, of the Lord, um, that, that we are set aside for him, and that we've yielded everything to him, that there's no aspect of our life that he's not in control of. Amen. But in this, sanctify Christ as Lord. In the midst of of persecution and great trial. The thing that we are, are apt to think when life is, itself is threatened is that I, I need to protect myself and I need to provide for myself and I need to do the same for my family. And if it really gets bad, all I'm going to think about is me. Family, you're on your own. Right? And the, the issue that I have to come to in times, especially in times of great trial, where life itself seems to be threatened. Who is my provider? And who is my protector? Is he Lord? Is he big enough to provide for you and to protect you? See, a persecuted people have to come to that. It isn't your life. And the truth is, Though we should all lock our doors at night and do those things that are just, just basic things, we have to understand that no matter what we do, we are not the protectors and guardians of our lives. 
There are things we should do. But our protection comes from God. And we must sanctify Him as Lord. And then make a, be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks. I appreciate, I don't see Jeff here, but when Jeff Morris was teaching through 1 Peter a year or so ago in our adult Sunday school class, I felt like he made an excellent observation when he said, if you sanctify Christ as Lord, when you live in such a way, especially in very, very difficult circumstances where you are yielded to Jesus and you are trusting in Him and not in your own ability to protect yourself or to provide for yourself, people are going to come to you and say, what is different with your life? And so in other words, if you sanctify Christ as Lord, He is truly Lord of your life. People are going to ask questions because they're going to see something different. Be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you when Jesus is sanctified as Lord. How come people never come up to us and ask us about our lives? Maybe it's because they're not seeing anything different. Maybe it's because Jesus isn't sanctified as Lord. Not necessarily. It could be that they're seeing a tremendous difference and they're just afraid to ask. That happens too. But I know I was so convicted after a year in seminary, I was trying to tell everybody in the dorm that it's all about Jesus and it's not all about Dallas Seminary. Because there are quite a few guys in the dorm that just felt like they were, you know, just one step below heaven by being at Dallas Seminary. And I remember one guy sitting out in the lounge one time, he's just going, isn't it amazing that we get to be at the best school in the entire world? And I'm just going, Lord, have mercy. And I'm thankful for the opportunity to study in seminary and to be at that seminary. But the big deal is Jesus, not seminary and where we happen to have gotten our education. And I remember trying, and I, and I found myself just pushing back on this all the time. Every time I heard something like that, man, I'm going to push back. You know, I don't know what's wrong with me. That's what I do. And nobody was coming to me and asking me about my relationship with Jesus. But there were two other guys in the dorm who were not pushing back like that every time they heard that kind of garbage. And I woke up and realized guys are going to them and saying, I don't know Jesus like you do. But I'd like to. And I was convicted. And I quit fighting God's battle for him. If it's all about Jesus, then I need to be all about Jesus. And not trying to, to beat everybody to Jesus. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your own life. An amazing thing is, you're going to find people coming to you and say, can you tell me what the difference is with you? Why is there a hope in you when there's no reason to be hopeful? Why are you encouraged when there's nothing encouraging in your circumstances? How come you come to work and smile? And you, I know we know how you're going to be treated when you're here. Say, well, it's not me. I gave my life to Jesus. And every day I wake up and give my life to Jesus. He's truly my life. 
So love the brothers, verse 8. Sanctify Christ as Lord, verse 15. In verse 16, keep a good conscience. It's not complicated, is it? Love as Christ loves. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. And in everything you do, keep a good conscience. No matter how hard life is. And from that, I'm not going to spend a lot of time with these last verses just for the sake of time. Maybe we'll come back to another time. But from that, again, he... Peter brings us back to Jesus, but he also brings us back to Noah. We would expect him to use Jesus all through here and say, this is how Jesus lived, this is how you're to live, amen. But then he brings in Noah. Because like he says, let's just talk about living in hard circumstances with difficult people. Noah. Oh, a righteous man and the only one on earth. Wow. And if Noah could live the life that he lived and there were no other believer around, what excuse do we have? For 120 years, he built that boat. And the Bible says he was a preacher of righteousness. And I think that, to me, the simplest and best way to handle what is a difficult passage here. Verse 18, for Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit. And then he moves into Noah. And I believe right here is where he moves in with Noah. And he says, in which also he went and made proclamation. So in the spirit he went, okay? Not in the body, not in the flesh, but in the spirit Christ went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. Now, some people read that as Jesus, after he died on the cross, for three days he went down into Sheol. I understand that teaching, and that is probably the, the majority teaching, but that is, in my mind, that is not what Jesus is speaking of, what Peter's speaking of here. Because it doesn't say he went to Sheol. It says that Christ, in the Spirit, was preaching to, to spirits that are now in prison, who were once disobedient, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah. So when did Jesus go in the Spirit and preach to people who are now, spirits that are now in prison? In the days of Noah. So in other words, I think simply Peter's saying, Jesus was preaching through Noah. And Jesus is preaching through you. When in difficult circumstances, you are sanctifying Christ as Lord living in surrender to him that it's his life and not yours, trusting in him no matter what is happening around you, Christ is preaching through you, even as he was preaching through Noah. I think that's simply what it's saying. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And we too will be preachers of righteousness with Christ preaching through us. When no matter what the circumstances are, in good and bad, we come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I don't want to just get through life. I don't want to just survive. I want you to be seen. It's your life. And I sanctify you as Lord in every single thing of my life. It's yours. And in that, you will keep a good conscience because you're not quenching the Spirit, you're not grieving the Spirit, you're living yielded before God. And in that sense, you are 
saved by baptism, not the baptism of water, Peter's very clear on that, not the removal of dirt from the flesh by water, but rather God cleansing us through our identification with Jesus Christ. As we come to him in faith, whom God has raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of God, we'll live with a clean conscience because Christ has been sanctified. And we will love one another as Christ loves us, supernaturally. Again, because Jesus Christ is sanctified as Lord. An amazing life, isn't it? Because Jesus lives, that life can be defined by who he is and not just by all the stuff that's happening to us. We're all going to be shaped and molded in one way or another by the things that happen to us. But we don't have to be defined exclusively by those events. We can be made more and more like Christ in those events and become preachers of righteousness as we yield to him in those events. I'll close this in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your full availability to us. Thank you for your patience and understanding with us. You know that we are but flesh, and you have compassion on us, as a father does on his children. We do want to be those who are quick to come to the throne of grace, to receive grace to help in our time of need. Thank you that we can that you will never hold us off, and that you will always supply all that we need. Thank you, God, that in every circumstance of life, you tell us that you are sufficient, and that you would have us to simply yield to you, live dependently, and live in gratitude for all that you are. In Jesus' name, amen.